Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Good morning, uh, especially to those joining live and obviously welcome to our congregation here. We're in Psalm 23, and if you're wondering, I've sent a couple of messages out saying, this morning we're going to look at the psalm devotionally, or what does it mean by that? Well, you tell me. <laughs> no, what do I mean by that? We're going to be less focused on exegetical, expository preaching, where we're, where we're unpacking the background and giving its meaning in its time and place, and then building a bridge, and then doing application. Because... I, I just want to come at this differently today. So we're going to miss all that. And we're just going to deal with the application of the psalm. Okay? Otherwise, you would have had this in three goes otherwise. Okay? So we're going to try and get through in one go. And we, it's, it's mainly something for us to take away. So it may not appeal to your intellect so much. Maybe it never appeals to your intellect. Right? Okay? So it will appeal less to your intellect today. Uh, and uh, more to your heart is the hope. Good. Uh, so let me tell you about a newsreader. Uh, at a church in Great Britain, they invited a newsreader uh, to come and read Psalm 23 to them. And you can imagine the professional manner in which he read, the tones and the pauses. I mean, uh, I thought Tiffany did her pauses quite well, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure I can learn something from that. But, uh, so here he is presenting his, his reading of Psalm 23 in a professional manner. Brilliant! And then later in the same service, I think towards the end, uh, just an ordinary church member was called up and he was going to conclude with the same reading. And so he went up there with some fear and trepidation, as you can imagine. And then he just read the psalm the best he could. He wasn't quite, you know, quite right. You know, there were little places where he stumbled. And afterwards, the two men were chatting and, and, the, and the church member just complimented the, the, um, the newsreader on the brilliance of his reading, and the newsreader responded to him and said, "Hey, I know the psalm. He knew it, you know, uh, uh, off by heart." He says to his member, "Yeah, I know the psalm. I know well. But what came across to me when you were reading, you know the shepherd. I know the psalm, but you, I could tell when you were reading, you." Know the shepherd. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's one thing to know the word of God. To know about Jesus. To know about the shepherd. But do we know the shepherd? The psalm begins, uh, I know we don't always imagine those titles are that important. In most of the Bible, they're not. They're just added by some human Okay, in comparison to God's word, they're not important. But the Psalms and their headings are a part of the canon of Scripture. They're a part of the original text as it comes to us. So a Psalm of David is a part of this Psalm. It's, it tells us straight away uh, that this is someone very important, King David. Okay, we know he was a shepherd. And so it, it makes sense, doesn't it? He should write a song, he wrote many songs about uh, farming, sheep farming. What's particularly interesting is he's not talking about, he's not singing about a shepherd 
so much from the experience of shepherd. He's talking from the, or singing from the experience of sheep. So it's completely reversed. It shows us something, doesn't it? It shows us this much about David. For him to be writing from that perspective suggests that when he was taking care of sheep, he cared. Yeah, he loved them. That's the way you can write from their perspective. We know he loved them because he, he, he stuck up for them and put his life at risk for them. So he's writing from their perspective. He's not writing, like we imagine that we most of the Psalms by David, that he was on some hillside, you know, as a shepherd boy and with little musical instrument and singing away. Well, he may well have been singing away, but he didn't write the Psalms, or at least the bulk of them then. And he's most probably writing Psalm 23, not on the hillside as a shepherd lad, but as a king in his palace. And so you ask yourself, why would someone in that context be writing about that context? What would you, why do you think David's writing this, singing this? Uh, not, from, not from the field, but from his palace? You can answer. Why would you be writing this now? We can only assume. He's thinking back, and there's a reason. Why would he be thinking back to the past? Why? Well, he did. But Graham, I'm just thinking, because that was his situation. He was in a bit of a mess. Or he needed reassuring. Or he felt reassured. He felt blessed. Or he felt in need. And so he's writing, isn't he? He's writing, hey, 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 look, 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 I took care of my sheep. God's got this. There's something obviously amiss in his life. And so he's penning words for his own benefit, isn't he? He's going to sing this. Confirmation. Yes, or affirming what he's experiencing. And he's remembering, and he's feeling God's love around him, and he's remembering, and he's saying, yeah. And then now he can associate his shepherding experience with how he feels and what he needs. It's incredible for a king to be writing these words because they're quite, they're quite humble words, aren't they? It's not, it's not what you expect you know, from the king. You, know, you expect a like, mighty sword, my God is a slayer. That kind of stuff, don't you? But no, he's like, I'm a little sheep. <laughs> Can you see what he's saying? He needs God. This is really humble. So there's something magnetic about the psalm. It's probably why it's one of the most well-known places in all of the Bible. So Psalm of David, that's the book of the exegesis. Okay? You're not going to get any more intellectual stuff. Well, that wasn't that intellectual, was it? But okay, but you know, it doesn't get any deeper than that. But here's what, I, here's what God put on my heart for us as a fellowship. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. You've all heard of those open and shut cases. I'm assuming that means it's finished no sooner than it started. You know, the conclusion's obvious. That's what it means, isn't it? I haven't got a legal qualification to... to, But uh, but obviously I'm assuming it means something like that. This is one of those situations because look at what David is saying here. It's an incredible statement. It's a weird way to begin a song because he no sooner begins his song than he completes his song. He opens a song and shuts the song. He gives us an opportunity to sing and then says, don't sing anymore. Because he completes his song in the same 
voice, same line. What do you call the line of a song, a stanza? I haven't got a clue. I have no idea. Yeah, she's not. Oh, there. What do you call the first line of a line of a song? You gotta be quick because I'm online. Yeah, the first part of a stanza. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay, because he begins and finishes simultaneously. Can you see that? The Lord is my shepherd, and you're sitting in for a good song. I shall not be in want. And he finishes his song because what else is there to say? Can you see the point? The Lord's my shepherd. Duh. I've got nothing to worry about. And he almost finishes his song as soon as he begins it. Maybe he ran out of words. You know, you know, so he just, he just puts a full stop. Because it's a full stop. It's an opening phrase and it's a conclusion. It's, a middle, it's an opening, middle and end. All in one brief first line of a song. The Lord's my shepherd. That's it. I'm done. That's all I need. I can get on. I can leave. I can move on. I can begin my day. Because what else have I got to worry about? He knows that, doesn't he? He knew that as long as he was there on the field when he was a shepherd, the only thing that a sheep had to know, the only thing he had to see, the only thing he had to sense was that he's there, sitting there with his shepherd's crook in his hand and that's all that mattered. And the psalm begins, and here's here's God's word to you, the only thing you need to be aware of and know, now or tomorrow morning, is that the Lord is your shepherd. That's all you need. For the rest of today, that's all you need tomorrow morning. It's sorted. It's in hand. And in some ways, I could send you all home now. <laughs> and the trouble is, I'd set a bad precedence when I could next week you'd be coming thinking the service will be over at 1047. It was last week. Now, now there's more because David does start and finish there. But then he has some inspiration, it almost seems to me. Because, because he then decides, okay, actually, I'm going to expand on this. Because there may be some dummies out there. You know, I'm, I'm not looking at you, Brenton. It just happened to be in front of me. Okay? Because there may be some dummies out there who, who just need a bit of detail, a, a bit of, bit of, bit of uh, flesh on the bones. Okay, and so, and I think that's what he's doing. Okay, but what does that look like? And here's how it looks. Verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 and 3. Thank you, Ricky. She's not in any issue. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. There's a triad there. The Bible's full of these triads all over the place. There's a lovely one here. In farming terminology, this, this covers the basis of all the essentials, everything that a sheep needs. In fact, this is all that a sheep needs. He's covered everything. Look, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Can you see? That's speaking of safety. He's speaking of ample supply of food. He leaves me beside quiet waters. You cannot exist without drink. You cannot exist. And he restores my soul. It's a picture of rest. It's all the essentials. Look, we live in 
2022, and half of it's already gone. Seriously, I cannot believe half of it's already gone. But if you look at our lives, that's so complex. We've made them like that. We are dependent on so much. I mean, we can't exist without that thing there. Everywhere you go. I met with a couple of people in, in the older age bracket this week. Okay, And much to my surprise, what are they doing? They're sitting in the vehicle? Seriously. Okay? None of us can do without it, it seems. If it's not the phone, it's the TV. If it's not the TV, it's something else. It's this, it's leisure, it's, it's, it's our investments. Our lives are so complex that it's no longer about food, water, safety and rest, is it? We've got to have everything else. And somehow, somehow we're poor if we don't have the complexity of the technological age that we live. We've become utterly, utterly dependent on it. But here's a fact. You only need food, safety, water and rest. In fact, Paul says that. I haven't got it in my sermon. 1 Timothy 6, 5 or 6. Okay, he says these words, doesn't he? He goes, you know, and if we have food and water, or to this effect, we will be content with that. Hey, that doesn't describe my life. But it ought to, and that's David's point here, is that God's got it covered. And look, even in our technological age, even in our technological age, he's got it covered. Okay, he's got every detail of our life under his care. That's what we're meant to understand from here. That's what David is getting, is that, hey, he's got this. Whatever matters beyond, he's got the food, he's got the water, he's got the rest, he's got the safety, but, but he's, he's, he's got your mobile phone bill in, in hand too, okay? And your internet service, and the place you've got to get to this afternoon, and, and that class that you've got to teach with those unruly kids, Okay? Okay, uh, and that situation, again, walking to tomorrow, that's uncertain. He's got that too. And he's got that illness. And he's got that perplexing weight on your shoulder that you've been carrying for months. He's got that employer who is just terrible, terrible to you. I remember once uh, we were doing our house up. I was overseeing a, a massive renovation on our house. And, and a part of it, the outside of the building had to be uh, all the plaster knocked off it and replastered, rendering is called. Okay, and, and this. I paid this guy a lot of money to do it, but he sends this, you know, this guy who's obviously got very little qualification just to do the hard dog's body work. And, you know, to knock off all this rendering, and it's freezing cold, it's whales, and the poor chap can't get this stuff off. He's doing his best. His boss turns up after, and he just, just digs into him. What do you call this? I told you to, to don't miss the, 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 I forgot what they're called, the little bits, otherwise he's got to go over it again, you see. And it just laid into him. Can you imagine having a boss like that? But you try and work for Living Word Bible Church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, he's got that covered. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And what do you worry about clothes? 
What do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet Solomon, or even Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God dresses uh, clothes, rather, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, people who don't believe in God, people who don't have God as their shepherd, they run after these things. But your shepherd, your heavenly father, knows that you need them. And so, seek first his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And everything else will be taken care of. He said it in the video, didn't he, that we watched earlier. Worry, quoting a rabbi, Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems. There's no slide, Greg. Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. Hey, if you haven't realized it by now, you don't have what it takes to face and get through what you're going to face tomorrow. You don't have it. You haven't got it. And so if you spend the rest of today worrying about it you're just going to do yourself in you don't have it's beyond your capability it's beyond your pay grade to deal with what you will face tomorrow in fact you don't even know you have no idea what you're going to face tomorrow the only grace you have the only ability within your 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 environment of of effect and influence and power is right this second Right now. So the only thing you should be concerned about is right now. Don't sit there being distracted by what's waiting for you back at home or at work tomorrow. Otherwise I'm wasting my time, aren't I? And you're wasting your time. Your only concern is now, says Jesus. And, And that's not because he doesn't care. It's because, look, Tomorrow will worry about itself. For tomorrow, for each day, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Next, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let me ask you, what's God's all-defining attribute? Attribute is is a posh theologian's way of saying trait, character. Okay, what's God's all-defining attribute? Theologians aren't agreed on it, so you won't be agreed on it. What would you, what would you say is the most is the defining attribute of God? The one thing that singles out God? Compassion. Okay. Love. Holiness. Now I'm going to deal with those two there. Holiness and love. Because they are the ones that most theologians toy with. You have those who argue that the defining attribute of God is love. God claims to be love. I, it doesn't say I am love. It rather says, God is love. 1 John 4. John 3.16 tells us that the very catalyst for our salvation is God's love. Okay? Love, without doubt, is a defining character of God. Characteristic attribute of God. Is it the defining characteristic of God? I don't know. Maybe not. But look, I, 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 I'm not convinced fully either way. The one most, um, most conservative theologians go with 
His holiness. God's all-defining attribute is His holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Friends, if it is holiness, and it may well be, look, and but this verse is pointing to that. Look, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If God is ultimately defined by holiness, if holiness is the essential characteristic attribute of God, then holiness is at the core of God. Holiness matters to God. It's his essential nature. And what the psalm is telling us, and it's a bizarre thing in the middle of this sheep farming, husbandry term uh, metaphor. Okay, he, he slips this and he guides me in the paths of righteousness. He's reminding us that the shepherd cares about the holiness of his flock. He guides me. Can you see, we know he cares because look, he guides me in the paths. In other words, God is going out of his way to lead us in the paths of holiness. I think that's the point here. Jesus says the very same thing in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. Jesus is concerned that we're walking the highway of holiness. It's not to suggest that every one of us here is perfectly holy or that every one of us in this church is more holy than everybody in that church. Okay? But it does mean this. It does mean this, that God's purpose in us, if this is indeed his all-defining attribute, and remember his purpose in us is, is, to, is to re, not to reinvent, but to, not to even rediscover, but to bring out. What's the word for bringing something out? Whatever that word is. It, yeah, it's to re-expose his image in us. That's what he's undoing, isn't he? The image has been lost, the image has been marred. He's, he's re-bringing that image out of us. And if his, chief, if his chief attribute is holiness, then the chief thing that he's leading us into, drawing, us, drawing out of us, is this sanctification or holiness which is found through his word. But hey, if you're real, if you're a real person, then this is the one area we struggle in most. Seriously, of all the things that we struggle with as Christians, and, and if we don't struggle with it, it's because we, we don't care about it. So let me say that if you're sitting there thinking, I don't, it's because you don't care about holiness. Because if you care about holiness, you know that you struggle with holiness. Whether with great sins or little sins, and there are such, Jesus does distinguish sins, not all sins are not sins. There are greater sins and lesser sins. Like I said, whether it's a greater sin or a lesser sin or anything in between, we struggle with those, don't we? But I think what the psalm is telling us is putting the work of making you and me holy in whose hands? Yeah. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He's got that too. He's got that too. Next, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You'll notice, who knows? Can anyone notice anything bizarre about that verse? Something on towards? Maybe you all read modern Bibles. 
Yes, there's that bit in there, but I was thinking of something else, something totally weird. Maybe you don't read the King James anymore. Okay? What's wrong with it? It's the right verse, isn't it? Yes, there's something wrong with it. The King James says, Yea, though I walk through. Is that relevant? Well, that's only a bit of it. It's getting there, Greg. It's getting there. The, the, the death valley! Dead people! When is, this, when is this quoted more than ever? At someone's bedside when they're dying or at the funeral, the dead bit's missing. Most modern Bibles are dropping it. Probably why you haven't seen it. You know, so don't beat yourself up. But traditionally, it was translated, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I'm teaching this to our kids and when we pray in the morning, and because I've got such a terrible mind, I keep fluctuating between the two because my mind still thinks King James, but I know it's now translated this way. And the other day, I went from the one, that one to this one, and Tiffany or Theo had me open. He goes, you said that wrong. <laughs> and I explained. No, I hadn't said it wrong. This is, translators argue that this is a much better translation of the Hebrew. It's not the valley of the shadow of death. It's the darkest valley. That's what the Hebrew is pointing to. And can you see that's, that broadens the whole thing, doesn't it? It's no longer something I just read at your bedside. You know, so if I read this verse to you, uh, um, I've forgotten your name, Lorraine. Okay, don't panic. You're not dying. Okay, <laughs> because because it, it's the darkest valley as well. Okay, and so it's got much broader application. And here's the reality: Is anybody dying here? I don't suppose we are, are we? Well, you speak for yourself, you. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Sadly, sadly. I don't think there's anybody imminently dying here. And so, look, you could read this and, and it kind of just water off a duck's back. You know, oh, I'm not dying yet. I'll deal with that when I get Nikki's thinking that because, you know, she's 21. Uh, Ten times old. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you don't do that, do you? That's a no-no. I don't even know how old you are. Well, see, I told you I was right then, wasn't I? <laughs> and I was being generous with the ten. <laughs> yes, of course, I am, I am actually, I wish not. Uh, and so look, but if it's the darkest valley, it's more relevant to us. Because you may only be 35, but I bet you've been through some dark valleys, haven't you? And you. And you. And you. And you. And so the psalm reaches out to us all, doesn't it? Even though I walk through the darkest valley. And the point is simply this. What is the cure? Well, I'll tell you what. Particularly in some circles of the church. If I'm in a dark valley, what's my arrow prayer? What's the only thing I'm expecting? What's the only prayer I pray? What has God got to do when I'm in a dark valley? He's got to get me out of it. And he's got, when, has he got to get it? when has he got to get me out of it? Yesterday! Okay? But that's not the answer that God provides for dark valleys. It's not the one David gives. And he knows all about this. Okay? It's not the one that Scripture gives us. What is the cure for our dark valleys? Jesus is with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What, what is the arrow prayer that you need to pray in the next dark valley? Be with me and let me know you're with me. 
before they get me out of here. Prayer. Seriously. That's got to be the first prayer. God, I need you. Let me sense your presence. The thing is, he's always there. But you're praying, God, I need to know now. Now I need to feel it. Okay? You know when Paul went through his, God, I need to know you're there. You know what he did for him? Do you know what he did for Paul? At least two occasions when he need, when he, God, I need to know you're there. You know what he did for him? He turned up. He turned up physically. And he says, the Lord stood by me. Don't rule that out. Okay? The next time you're in a dark valley, don't rule out that he may turn up. Even if he doesn't turn up physically, expect a sense of his presence. Pray for a sense of his presence. Helen, as you know, she's come there. Helen just is... I can say this because she's not here. And if you're listening, uh, apologies. <laughs> okay? Okay? Hey, she's the most incredible woman. Seriously, the number of things that lady has gone through. And when you see her, okay, when you speak to her, she's got nothing but positive things to say. And how she's dealt with that and she's put that behind her and she's moved on and that doesn't worry her. Why would she waste her time worrying about that? <laughs> it's incredible. And then she, she was sharing with Leah myself when we went to visit her recently. Okay, I had to take Leah with me because, uh, boy, she can be scary. Okay? <laughs> Seriously. So I had to make sure Lee was with me and I didn't go in until he, he parked his car next to me and we could walk in together. Okay? And I made him walk in first. Okay? So we went together and she's sharing about her latest ordeal of going through surgery, which not many of you will be aware of, could have been life-changing. It was a critical surgery. And you know what she says? The thing she prayed when she was on the operating theatre and an anaesthetist was about to send her into cloud nine. God, I need you here with me. That's what I want. I want to know that you're here with me. She'd got it. Yes. When we were ministering to her at that time, the one thing she said to us, Lorraine, she said, I'm going to ask something different of you. She said, I pray that God, I will sense the presence of God in the operating room. And that's, so she's got it, hasn't she, Lorraine? Yeah. She's got the heart of the song. The next dark environment, the darkness you go through, make that your prayer. That is the solution. It's the one thing Jesus promises. Nikki's already alluded to it. I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's factual, but the reason we pray it is because we want to enter into the experience of it. He's with you. He's there. He's always been there. He never will leave you. But at times it gives us a sense of his presence. Okay, I need to be quick. Number five, verse five rather. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. I need some tissue. Could someone just give me some tissue please? Thank you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Have you applied for a job recently? Anyone, applied for, anyone been looking through the job file recently? You've been looking for a job, Nikki? No? No, no, no you got a job. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank you. Look, just give me a second. Uh, I'll just take, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, give me one second. Look, look, I am totally normal. Even, look, I've got to blow my nose. Excuse me. 
Okay. Okay, interval over. Okay, I was asking, wasn't I? Yeah. Is it, anybody been looking for jobs recently? Okay, you're going to... Some of you think, I don't want anybody to know. Okay, look, if you're looking for a job, obviously you're looking at, you know, are you suited for this position? You know, have you got the right qualification? But if you're honest, what are you also looking for in that job advert? Yeah, you're looking for the benefit package, aren't you? What's the pay figure? You know, what's super? Yeah, what's super? Okay, what leave? Do you know, you know, do you know I got ripped off you know, when we moved here. I used to get six weeks annual leave. Six weeks! Okay, it's just four. That's a complaint, by the way, the leadership team. <laughs> it's just four. I'm like, I always had six. Don't you just carry these over when you move to another country? Did you carry yours over, Charlie? Yes, he carried his over. Okay? Right, okay? So look, uh, in how much leave, what the work environment is like, you know, what are the conditions? You want to know the benefits, don't you? You want to know, am I going to be looked after by this company? If I come and work for them, are they going to take care of me? Can you see what the psalm is saying here? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Can you see what God's saying? Here's your benefit package. You come with me. You work with me. You, you stick in my, in my sheepfold. Hey, I've got all your bases covered. That's what he's trying to tell you. This is the best benefit package you'll ever find in any job. That's his point. Because, he's, because the terminology is changing from shepherding. And what he seems to be suggesting, David, here, is that here is God is the ultimate host. He protects us. He provides for us. He takes care of our well-being. And he's generous. He's absolutely, abundantly generous. That's what he means by the cup overflowing. The message he's trying to get across to you, that in his benefit package and his care package to you, he is generous, beyond belief. So generous that he can afford to waste his generosity on you. Let me tell you this question. The devil is another shepherd of types. And he's always trying to lure sheep into his sheep pen. But he's a terrible shepherd. And his benefit package compares nothing to this. And that's the point here. He desires only, the devil desires only to imprison you and to harass you, to torment your peace, to take from you. And he does it by lies. Remember what Jesus says? He's the father of lies. Okay. Jesus, the great shepherd, gives us a, a, a care package that you will not find anywhere else in this world. Hey, whatever you're feeling right now, and if you're there thinking, if, if I wasn't a Christian, it'd be much better off. Look, I'd have, for every $100 I spend, I'd have $10 extra in my pocket every month. I mean, that's another Big Mac, mate. You know, every month. Right, okay? Okay. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be so much better off. No! What, what the psalm is telling you, what David wants you to know, look, Jesus has the best package of care for your life. He's got the best. Jesus illustrates this. Do you know the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son? It's probably one of the most incredible pieces of literature 
in all of the Bible. That parable reveals something about God that nobody had ever seen. No Jew, certainly not a Pharisee, ever looked on God that way. What way? No Jew ever considered him. He was God. The thrice holy, holy, holy God who's transcendent, distant, above and beyond, who, who, has, who has a barrier between himself and his people. And then Jesus tells his story and says, you've all got it wrong. He's, he, he may have those qualities, but at heart, this is what he's like. You see? And, and that's the point here and he, of that parable. And he says, look, he gives us a picture of God. This is what God is like. Luke 15. Okay, this wayward rebel son. It's a picture of you. Okay, returns home, is due judgment. And yet the father says, he runs to him and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Kill the fattened calf. That was your prize cow. Okay, or calf, whatever it is, okay? Animal that you eat with four legs. Goes moo. Okay, that was the, the, the prize um, heirloom of the family. This thing had been alive probably for a while. Well, he's a calf. He probably hasn't been alive very long, has he? Okay, but you get the point. Okay, he kills it. This is generosity. Absolute generosity. As a Christian, let me tell you this. Hang in there with God. Stick in there with God. Don't give up on him. Your life may not seem to demonstrate someone who gives you the ultimate care package, but that's because you haven't seen what he's doing with you yet. You haven't seen him finish the project. You don't know how this is going to end. And, it's, and we're too impatient, aren't we? We're too quick to tell God, this is not working out. You're letting me down. And we don't give him enough time to demonstrate that he's got this. He's got this covered. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. And, he, and, and so forth. Last thing, okay. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you this, okay. Seeking God is a command of God. And I'll, I'll tell you straight from the Bible, seek God. Seek God, seek God, or you, seek God. But don't seek the betterment of your life. Okay. It's overrated. Don't pursue happiness. It's over, the pursuit is overrated. Don't pursue getting all your life as wonderful as you possibly can get it. It's overrated. And it flies in the face of what Jesus says. So here's what he says to us. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What can he profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet lose his soul? Hey, the pursuit of life, of squeezing every last bit out of it, every last experience, every last commodity, every last reality, every last experience is overrated and flies in the face Someone said to me once, I remember, look, I'm sorry, I've got to finish. 
about this person who couldn't, couldn't afford great holidays and then somebody else said to him, don't worry about it. On the new planet, you can travel anywhere you want, whenever you want, at no cost. Seriously. Don't worry about it. And that's the point. The call, the call to faith is not a call to pursue the greatest possible life. And let me tell you out there, and I'm going to say this publicly, for, for risk of being shot, Joel Alstein fans, this is not your best life now. Okay? This is not your best life now. Goodness sake, this life stinks if it's the best life. I want a new one. You know, I want to start over. Okay, this is not your best life now. Don't assume it to be your best life now. Don't pursue your best life now, you fool. Because how long does it last? Not a lot. Okay? Your best life, my best life, is yet to come. Is yet to come. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You see what he's saying? And you know the point of this is? The thing about following is I could lose you. Okay. Well, you could lose me. You try following me. Okay. I will lose you in the market. Right? You, can, you, can, you know, you might lose the force of the Hebrew here. I learned this from my first Bible college day at Bible college. The force of the Hebrew here. This is, isn't that God's goodness follows you. You might get lost. And it might get sit instead of you. Okay? Is it pursues you? God's goodness haunts you down. It tracks you down. It finds you out. It homes in on you. It discovers you. It doesn't rest until it finds you. That's the point. So here's your worrying about, you know, is my life going to turn out the way it is? Is it going to be great? I better do something because God's office is really busy. No, no. God is not too busy. He's pursuing. Your best. He's pursuing you to give you his goodness. You know, you know, as your life works out, pans out well, that wasn't an accident. More like your life wasn't an accident, how it's panned out just now. Because God's mercy has been pursuing you and his love and goodness. And that's going to make itself real for you. And it's going to make itself real for even you. And that's going to make itself real for you. And for you, and for you, and for you. Let God's purpose for you unfold. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will. I, I still have to look every now and then, especially when you stand up here. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hey, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not be in one. Living Word Bible Church Teaching the Bible verse by verse